This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Paddock Pass Podcast presented by Renthal. On today's show, we're going to be looking back at the German Grand Prix from the Saxon Ring. Pretty eventful weekend all in all where Marc Marquez was able to come back and claim his first win uh, since November 2019. My name is Neil Morrison and I'm really delighted to say that rather than looking down a computer screen at a Zoom call, I'm joined in the flesh by three colleagues. It's a bit of a superstar lineup today because I have to the right of me, uh, Mr. David Emmett of com. Hello, David. Hello there, Neil. I also have to the left of me, Mr. Cormac Ryan Meenan, Cormac GP, photographer, superstar. Hello, Cormac. Hi, Neil. And first time on the show, Mr. Rob Gray, Polarity Photo. Hello, Rob. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you guys on. Now, we've uh, swapped the rather sweaty uh, atmosphere of uh, the Saxon Ring for the cool of, uh, where are we, about 10 minutes south of Assen, uh, the Netherlands. Uh, we've got lots to talk east, about. East of Assen. Ah, okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, we've got a lot to talk about. But before we do that, I'd just like to uh, introduce our guest a little more. I mean, Cormac, you've uh, been on the show, I think, once before. Um, you have been working in the paddock for a long time. You are Honda's official photographer. Um, yeah, that's that's your... Uh, that's me, that's basically. You. I don't, there's not much more to it. Been here too long. Well, not too long, but long enough. Yeah. And you've been in the paddock since 2012. Right, so a veteran. Yeah, yeah I suppose. More of a veteran than me, yeah. And mm -hmm. Mr. Uh, Rob Gray, Polarity Photo. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and who you cover in the paddock? Uh, well, definitely not been in the paddock as long as uh mr cormac but uh yeah i work for ktm predominantly and uh yeah i think been in the motor gp paddock since around 2016 something like that okay right so it's a fair few years behind mm -hmm. uh, both of you lads yeah and david emmett need i even ask about your job title uh, oh yeah 1923 um uh i'm actually amazed that Cormac is old enough to have been in the paddock since 2012. He doesn't look old enough. I mean, unless he was on a, a, a half-priced children's ticket or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm quite sad that he's not got the same hairstyle as he did in 2012. 19, I maybe I was, or 20. So, 19, I think I was. Pretty young. Mm. Yeah. Not 19 now, though. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. Now, gents, uh, before we get into the, the thick of it and talk about the Saxon Ring and the German Grand Prix, I'm going to ask you uh, each for your favorite moment of the weekend. What was your big takeaway? Um, not because it's your first time on the show, Mr. Rob, I'm, mm -hmm. going to talk, uh, I'm going to talk to you. What was your big moment of the German Grand Prix? Okay, so a bit of a tough one, but I'm going to go with, uh, now bearing in mind we've not been to Saxon Ring since 2019, Uh I'm going to go with the first time I went to turn 12. So I think it's the, the waterfall. A lot of people know it as. Um, and when you're standing there, it's just like there's a few corners at, at the various tracks we go to where you actually don't mind just putting the camera down and admiring what you're seeing. And that's definitely one of them. When the bikes are full gas or they're sliding and they're just tipping down, going over the waterfall, it is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Yeah, it, that was it for me. Just like, you know, back at Saxon Ring. Definitely. Pretty cool track for sure. David, Emmett, what about yourself? Moment of the weekend. I think my moment of, uh, actually, I suppose my moment of the weekend was actually on uh, Friday FP2 when Mark didn't push for a fast time. And I really started thinking, you know, I didn't because obviously I predicted that he was going to win. Um, <laughs> uh, but then I really started doubting myself. I thought, you know, if he's running out of, energy now if he's running out of strength now uh he's really going to struggle uh, come the race and i'm not sure he's going to manage 30 laps yeah and uh, i should actually um award you with uh, a couple of stroop waffles or something of the kind because for <laughs> once in your life you actually predicted something correctly ahead of time <laughs> quite remarkable uh Cormac gp what about yourself uh, moment of the weekend uh, it's a bit cheesy but probably being part of a team that winning again it's a bit of a weird thing to be part of a team that wins a lot and then not win at all and then mm. win again you kind of forget what it's like there's yeah. a, a bit more on than there has been for the last year probably uh i don't know it feels good to be part of the team that wins 
which is yeah so probably that and when you say a bit more on what uh, what do you mean by that exactly what what kind of extra task uh, does that give uh, you I, uh, I mean you got the obvious stuff like victory pictures afterwards like team pictures but then just a little bit more responsibility i think that like you know this is a bigger moment so probably it's more important to kind of document what's going on um try not to mess it up mm-hmm. uh yeah probably that say i think that's a that's a fair answer for sure uh if i had to be pressed for my moment of the weekend i would say when the rain started falling and when i say rain i mean you know mm-hmm. light shower but just seeing mark attack that i think two lap phase uh, as if his life depended on it he said afterwards that that was the moment when he knew it was going to be his race and the others got a little bit caught up behind Alicia Spargo, but just seeing Mark ride as kind of raggedly and, and brilliantly as that, I think that was uh, something to behold. Uh, definitely something quite impressive indeed. Uh, now, on that theme, I guess, we'll get into what happened at the Saxon Ring. I mean, guys, you were obviously trackside outside. I was sitting in the media center. David, you were sitting somewhere back in the Netherlands. Uh, with your dear wife quite close by. Yeah, well, yes, we were watching the race. Um, uh, th- th- that is our um, sort of routine: is uh, sitting down two o'clock, watching the race, and um, yeah, it was it was a fantastic race. It was, I mean, I suppose as soon as Mark got past Aleish, you knew it was on. Um, he got a fantastic start. Um, gave Fabio Quartararo a little nudge on the way through turn one just to let him know that uh, he was coming through and he should uh, move aside because someone important was uh, on the way. Um, you know, the, the outstanding pass at, uh, was it, turn uh, turn 13? Because he couldn't get past at turn 12, bottom of the hill. Um, and realised that and very cleverly changed his line, uh, cut really hard inside to get past the, uh, Alessio Spargaro. Um, and then, yeah, when, when the rain came, then it was close. And then watching Miguel Oliveira coming, I mean, it was real. Uh, we talk about the shark music whenever Mark's involved, and this time Mark was involved, but the other way around. Um, Oliveira was really, really coming. You could really tell that he had the pace. And, I mean, it does make you sort of wonder what could have happened if uh, if things had been a little bit different. Yeah, exactly. If Oliveira hadn't got held up whenever that shower arrived, um, maybe it would have been a real dogfight right at the front with those guys. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, um, you guys were out in track during that shower. Was it, was it a heavy shower? Like trackside, were you thinking, okay, these guys are going to have to go into the rit- or into the pits for a bike swap? I thought it was heavy. I didn't, but Rob didn't. <laughs> no. So, but we weren't in the same place. To be fair, we were in different places. But then we did bump into each other, and then we still didn't agree. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I thought it was enough, but it was very warm. So, uh, I think because Cormac asked me on the grid, he was like, "What do you think? Is it going to rain?" And I said I, it wouldn't. I said no. Um, and then I saw you. I don't know. Was it maybe turn three or four? Yeah. And. uh it just kind of like there were a few drops in the air. It wasn't. It was raining. And Cormac looked at me like, I hate you right now. <laughs> so I don't have any more. I don't have a rain jacket. I don't have a rain cover. Nothing. Yeah, I was prepared. I was ready. <laughs> but I, I, to be fair, I was fairly confident that it wasn't going to... I don't know why. There was based on no, no, no fact or science, but I didn't just felt like it wasn't going to get any worse yeah you had your kind of finger in your mouth and held up to the sky afterwards yeah just exactly to, but yeah. For, from my point of view there was a few specks of rain here and there um i mean wow it, it's enough to if you were riding it's definitely enough to to put you off and change the the outcome of the race i think but from where we were it didn't seem pretty, too bad and you were saying cormac that you thought it was so warm that even if there were spots of rain it probably wouldn't for someone like marcus thinking approaching it it wouldn't have yeah. been enough for him to, to be honest off. i thought it was going to be a bigger problem for me or, or us rather that like you mm. know we our cameras might get wet rather than they would have to do mm. flag to flag um but also the rules change for us if the flag to flag race so I, that was i was aware of that or i was aware that the rules may change because it's a bit gray for us so i was trying to think ahead like if it does rain what can't i do that i would otherwise do so yeah mm-hmm. yeah so what does change i mean what what are you uh, suddenly allowed or not allowed to do in flag to flag races we're not allowed in the pit lane but in dry races we are but i don't no, i don't know if you know but i don't know what the rules are if it becomes a flag to flag race I, I don't know are we allowed in the pit lane afterwards but I, in my head I kind of planned to go back to the pit lane a bit before the end and then when it started to rain I thought well, maybe I can't do that 
And I didn't want to waste time going back to the pit lane to find out then that we couldn't go in. Um, so yeah, I'm still actually not on the shore. I need to find out. I have a feeling, a vague memory of, you know, when I was doing pit lane for Eurosport, that it was uh, uh, basically what they would do is close pit lane until the until the race is finished. Once the race is finished, then they'll let you in. You know, basically once once probably the last rider is past uh, mm. checkered flag. But, yeah, that would definitely affect your planning. Yeah, once it's closed, then that's kind of rules it out for you. And as Cormac says, like, by the time you spent, you've made the decision. You spent the time getting there. That's that time is lost. You know, yeah, you're not you, going to get it back. There's nothing you can do. You no. just wasted two laps or whatever. Yeah, and then you have to waste another lap or two to go back to somewhere that's useful. Yeah, but yeah. So that's what I was thinking when the rain was falling. Didn't think it was going to cause a massive effect for the race, but I thought maybe the cameras are going to get wet. Yes, yeah. I didn't bring anything out because Rob told me it was going to be dry. <laughs> <laughs> Moral of the story, always listen to Rob's advice. Definitely. Um, David, I mean, um, you mentioned there about that being quite a pivotal moment and it would have been interesting to see what Miguel could have done had he not had two seconds basically to overcome after the, the brief range hour. Um, but when I, when I was watching, I was thinking like the last 10 laps, surely Mark is going to tire somewhat. There's going to be a bit of a drop um, but that wasn't really the case. He was able to just... Miguel actually said that he thought Mark was controlling things quite comfortably from where he was sat. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Miguel was getting closer. He was definitely closing in, but all of the time, uh, every time he got a bit closer, then uh, Mark managed to uh, react. I, again, I thought he... I wasn't sure that Mark would actually be able to uh, cope because, uh, like I said... Um, FP3 or FP2, he didn't put a, a soft tyre on because he said he didn't have the energy. FP4, you saw him spend a lot of time in the garage. Um, uh, I think he did uh, something like 15 full laps, whereas others were doing 18 or 19 laps uh, in that 30-minute period. So it was really clear that he was um, saving himself a little bit. Um, but the race comes, and it, it was really interesting what Mark said uh, uh, at the end, when he saw Oliveira's name on the uh, on the pit board and coming back, he said, all right, okay, just think about, remember the way it was riding around the Saxon ring. And he changed Oliveira's name to his brother's name, Alex Marcus, because one of the ways that they train is uh, one will lead and the other one will try and chase them down. Um, and someone will hold a pit board out showing the uh, showing the gap between them. And so he was, he was seeing Oliveira and saying to himself, Alex, 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 because that way it took off some of the pressure it took off some of the the, the the need to win it put him back into a familiar situation that he was comfortable with because again this is the first time that he'd been competitive in a race since you know basically since the crash since July 20, 2020 um, that's a long long time to go without that feeling of knowing that you know winning was possible and winning they're only there to win they're not there to ride motorbikes or anything the only thing that matters is is success yeah yeah and how he managed those last couple of laps uh, was quite magnificent really did not put one foot wrong um and managed to put the uh put the hammer down i think with three laps to go just to you know make it crystal clear that miguel wasn't going to be able to uh to catch up again i mean cormac you obviously spend quite a lot of time around marquez's garage um he said that from the start of Sunday, he just had it in his head that it was a day to really go for it. Um, I mean, can you kind of see those things whenever you're in the garage? Does he maybe come across a little more focused than he would have done at, say, Mugello? Uh, or is it just something that he feels inside that isn't quite obvious to the people around him? I don't think it's very obvious because no matter if he's, he's never last, but if he's not first or he's first, he works or he seems to work the same. It's not my job to get super close and like listen. I, I overhear some things, but he, he his demeanor is very similar no matter what the situation. Yeah. So, no, it's short. No, I you can't tell, or <laughs> I certainly can't tell from being close to him if he's he feels like he can win or not. I always get the impression he feels like he he can win everything, irrespective of what he says. Um, but no, I don't think you can tell. The atmosphere is always want to win. We can win. I want to win. We need to beat everybody else, no matter what. But I don't think you can tell, particularly one day or one session, more than the other. But I mean, I had a feeling he would be close. I didn't know if he would win, but yeah, I had a feeling he'd be close. But I was surprised he won. Yeah. But happy he won. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he revealed afterwards, David, that he had... Well, he had spoken to Mick Doohan after uh, the Italian Grand Prix at Mugello and uh, Mick had given him 
a few pointers, had maybe basically spoken about his own experiences when he was recovering from a pretty rubbish, horrible, gruesome injury uh, sustained here in Iceland in 1992. And that seemed to give Mark some kind of peace of mind that, okay, yeah, that's pretty similar to what I'm experiencing right now. There are days where I'm just slow and the feeling's bad and I can't really explain why. Um, that, that seemed to have given him a bit of, uh, okay, this is normal for such a serious injury after a long layoff. Yeah, I mean, since his comeback, Mark has been talking about um, not being able to give good feedback because uh, he can't tell the team what the bike is doing because he's not able to do the things to the bike to make it do what he, what he wants. And so his problem has been himself rather than the bike. And what um, uh, McDoohan was talking about was saying you know look all these people you know they might may not believe in you you have to believe in yourself but you also you will be on the bike when there are days where it's just not working don't worry about it you will figure it out i figured it out because this happened in 92 93 i mean and uh, you know Dewan looked like he was on his way to uh, actually winning the title and and came close to actually winning the championship still despite having smashed his leg up and being um, yellow yeah 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 exactly and green. yeah and nearly losing it um and it was actually much worse the winter from 92 to 93 was actually much worse for uh, um for, for McDoan. i think that experience that long winter of recovering and then he's come back through 93 um uh, and and you know, and, and going on to dominate. I think that experience was much more useful. Hearing Mick Doohan talk about that was much more useful to Mark than um, than anything else. It was just like, okay, this is what is happening. I understand what's happening. I know that what what can be possible. Um, and again, the only reason that Mark won here was because. He wasn't limited by his, you know, his, his his physical limitations, by the pain in his shoulder, by not being able to throw the bike away about the way that he wanted to. Every all of the turns were in the right uh, direction. It was all, you know, it's all left hand corners. It's, it's just what he needed. Mark is special around here anyway. Um, here he's going to turn up and then have to face the fact that he's going to be somewhere between fifth and tenth again, probably, uh, unless we get a flag to flag race, which we might do. It's Aston, you know, you never know. Um, but really, I think that that knowledge, what Mick doing, gave him the motivation to understand. And then Alberto Pooch phoned him up on Tuesday and said, Saxon Ring. <laughs> and Mark said, Yeah, Saxon <laughs> Ring. And that was enough. Exactly. Yes. It's kind of like when you call me up and say podcast <laughs> and I say, yes, yes <laughs> podcast. And well, then that's when the magic really happens. Yeah. So uh, certainly does. I mean, just before we uh, move on a little bit from Mark, uh, I kind of have the impression that that was maybe one of his best wins ever. I mean, we've, we're talking about one of the most gifted guys in history and the list of wins is ridiculously long. Uh, the list of ridiculous feats on the bike is ridiculously long but just considering mm. what he's been through considering the manner in which he won it how he held off Oliver at kind of arm's length and just the the sort of grit and the bloody mindedness to go when he had to go when the rim was falling I thought that was seriously impressive I mean Rob do you have a similar impression yes absolutely I think um from like from my perspective I was the moment I saw where Mark was like quite early on in the race, I was quite surprised. I thought, okay, he's, uh, he's up there. And in fact, I think Cormac and I, we saw each other kind of towards the last corner, I think on the entrance, to the last corner. And there was maybe six, seven laps left, something like something that. Like that yeah. And Cormac sort of looked at me and he was like, you know, Miguel was coming. And I was like, Hmm, I'm not sure. I think Mark might be controlling it. And to be fair, we were 50, 50 both of us. Yeah, we didn't yeah. know what was what. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was pretty impressed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, Cormac, what was, what was your impression of where this would maybe rank in terms of Mark's uh, achievements? Uh, I mean, I, I, the start of the race, I was in the outside of turn two, so the inside of turn one. So I'm in second. I was like, didn't he start like fifth or sixth or something? I was like, what's he doing in second? Like, how has he got here already? And then when he got past the lace, I thought, well, here we go. Mm. and then when he st- when when it started to rain and the gaps started to keep because we don't know the gaps we don't know anything without fans we don't even have screens so it was really like guesswork you're trying to guess is the gap a bit bigger or smaller but it was visibly that he was just like, he was just checking out 
And then it kind of stayed like that for a while. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, like Rob said, towards the end, when, when it looked like Oliveira was catching him, I was like, mm, maybe not. But then when he did win, I was like, I mean, I don't know where on like the list. I mean, he's won, what, 50 something times. Like, mm. I don't know where on the list. I mean, it's high. He yeah. certainly looked like it was up there. You know, when yeah, you think it, about he Park like Ferme, big release of emotion. And yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't normally, he's not normally an emotional kind of chap when he wins because no. in the nicest way he expects to win. That's what he, what he does. But it was, I mean, I'd say it's got to be in the top three anyway, mm. at least. You? What do you think? <laughs> well, I'll pass it to David. What do you think, Div? I don't think it was his best win. I think it was probably the most important win in his career. Um, I think this proved to him that he can still win, um, mm. but there are situations where it can win. And if we go to uh, Kota, no matter what happens, when we go to Austin, he's going to win there. Um, and if we go there twice, as the rumour is, then it'll be very good. But um, I'm not sure it was his best win. I think there have been other races where he's been had to be craftier, cleverer, uh, had to fight harder, but this one mattered more than anyone. And it didn't just matter to Mark, it mattered to everyone in Honda because you saw Takeo Yokoyama, who is always, I mean, you know, he's a, he is, a, he shows some emotion, but he was in tears. It mattered a lot to him. It mattered a lot to, to, to Alberto Pooch. It mattered to everyone. It mattered so much. They tried to interview Santi Hernandez and Santi would just went, and that was all you could get out of him. So, yeah. Are you speaking it, Dutch? Uh, <laughs> one day I will speak Dutch to you and then you'll be in real trouble. Anyway, but yeah, that's, 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 uh, yeah, it really mattered this one. It was really, really, really important. Yes, absolutely. I don't know if you saw Alberto Puj's, uh interview with Amy Dargan afterwards, but I mean, the guy was irrecognizable from the kind of uh, quite intimidating, scary chap that his interview by Simon Griff had done in the grid uh, over a weekend. Um, I mean, we have to give a special mention and a shout out to, uh, to your boy, Rob, to Mr. Miguel, because I don't think uh, anyone has ever really pushed Mark as hard at the sanction ring as Miguel did. Yep. I mean, another great weekend the guy is just kind of riding the crest of a wave at the moment exactly I mean, yeah. yeah like what, what have you kind of seen from miguel in the last couple of weeks that has just elevated him to this uh well regular threat now um do you know it, it's kind of like what cormac was saying you don't get super super close but you're obviously you're you're in and around the team quite often but everyone's still putting in the same work ethic every weekend so i think really what's happening with miguel is that um, he is riding a bit of a wave. There's a lot of confidence there, and the platform that the team are providing is is obviously at a level where he feels like he can go to work, you know, and he can really. And and, and I think that also applies on Brad's side of the garage as well, because um, he had a, quite a good weekend, and he is showing some really good form. And like I think both the guys are showing kind of step by step increments, rather than there being kind of a magic bullet or anything that's just suddenly someone's clicked their fingers and all of a sudden he's on the podium every week. It feels much more of like, no, all of those little pieces that the team are putting together are, are just starting to create something quite stable that the guys can work with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was something, Dave, that Miguel was almost uh, at pains to point out on Friday um, that, okay, this magic, uh, this new chassis that was uh, brought to Magella wasn't like, as you said, Rob, the silver bullet. It was mm. uh, it's a bit more complex than that. And, uh, you know, his riding is also playing quite a big role in this uh, this upturn. Yeah, 100%. He was um, getting quite irritated with journalists saying, um, also, is it down to the chassis? No, it's not down to the chassis. Yes, the chassis helps a little bit. Mm. Oliver getting said, yeah, irritated by journalists. Yeah, I know. It's extremely unusual. He's never, yeah, that's he, he's, he's never never like that at all. But um, he, uh, he, you know, he was basically saying, look, it, we're putting all of these things together. There were times before, there were sessions where it'd be good. There'd be a few laps in the race where it'd be good. There'd be, um, uh, it, but it was, up and down and then sort of the chassis uh having a bit more a few races with this these tires also um uh understanding that these selections of tires getting away from qatar for example where the tires just really weren't working for them um that all of those made made a, a, a big difference it was being able to put it all together that was what was uh, managed it and oliver is riding 
really superbly. He's really... I mean, the, the one thing about Oliveira is he's really calm. He's really focused. Um, he doesn't get distracted by nonsense. Um, he has everything under control. And it's that's really, really interesting to watch. Also, I mean, like, Brad Binder rode a, an amazing race coming from 13th through to 4th. But you just think, like, Brad get it together you know like pull your finger out in qualifying and you might actually start to win again it's um it's impressive that ktm package in the factory team at least uh is really coming is really coming together and and they are going to be a significant factor in the championship i think yeah i think so cormac i mean i know you uh, think highly of Brad Binder's talents. Um, would you maybe argue against Dave's line of thinking that, uh, you know, he did have some excuses as to why uh, maybe Saturday didn't go so well from here at the Sax Spring, first time at the track in the MotoGP machine. I mean, there was a lot to work out there. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's probably annoying looking at your teammate finishing second, but also Oliveira had been there before on a MotoGP bike. Brad hadn't. Um, sure, should he qualify a little bit higher? Probably, but Everybody has different strengths. You know, some people can go fast over one lap. Some people are better over a race. Going from 13th to 4th is arguably more difficult mm. than going from, I don't know where Oliveira started. Sixth. Sixth, Sixth. to second. Uh, I mean, that's trivial, but like, you know what I mean? There's, sure, if he qualified better, he probably could also be second or first. Um, it'll come, I think. It'll yes, come. I, I mean, agree. In Aston, again, it's a track he's never been to on a MotoGP bike, so... I mean, that must be difficult to 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 kind of show up and Oliveira have be on the form he's in, and know that you've got the same bike. Come back in, ride as hard as you can. Come back in and be like, "Why am I zero point three, zero point four? Like, where? How? How is he doing this?" Um, but it will come. I don't. I don't have any doubt it will come. And I think Brad has a, a lot of winning to do. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Last, I think he was an FP one. Just couldn't understand how the how to ride the uh, Saxony and the MotoGP bike. I was getting it all wrong, all his references, and, and basically where to brake, where to just roll the gas, where to accelerate was just you know all new to him. And then to come away with a fourth place, yeah, pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, I mean, just the development over the weekend was really, really impressive. Just like he said. Um, uh, he said on Friday, you know, I've got no references. Everything is wrong here. Uh, I hope I'll go to sleep in the morning uh, and wake up in the morning and f sort of figure it out. Let my subconscious do the work. Mm. Uh, and that was certainly a lot of it. So, yeah, very impressive. Very impressive stuff from both the KTM men in Germany. Uh, that brings the first part of the show to a close. We're going to take a quick advertisement break. When we come back, we'll have more topics, including Yamaha, Suzuki and our winners and losers. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Okay, welcome back to the second part of the show. Uh, we have still quite a lot to get through. So let's start off with another big talk apart from the weekend. I mean, we have to look at what happened with Yamaha. Um, he's not here today, and what a shame it is, but Adam Wheeler predicted Maverick Vinales to win the German Grand Prix this weekend. Oh, I just have to bring that up once again. Adam, what were you thinking, man? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, but, but all you have to do is take the results sheet and then turn it the other way around, mm -hmm. and then Adam was right. Okay, right, yeah. Photoshop uh, is required there. I mean, what the hell is going on, Div? Because um, we talk about Honda being this bike that only one guy can ride. Uh, they've got pelters for it all year up until Germany that it's not working and they've placed too much trust in Mario Vignale, sorry, in Mark Marquez. No one else can get the best out of the bike. But it looks as though from the Saxon ring, in fact, from the season as a whole, the same could be said of Yamaha because Quartararo is riding really well, leading the championship, the other guys, I mean, Vinales last, Franco Morbidelli second last, Valentino Rossi 14th, like that is, that's bad for those guys. It's uh, horrendous for those guys. I mean, the weird thing about Maverick Vinales is um, he won, you know, he won the first race. Yeah. Uh, that is just remarkable. Um, change of crew chief, uh, like I think uh, Steve said on the, uh, uh, on one of the Paddock Note shows over the weekend, 
uh, a change of crew chief is it's like changing a football team manager where you get sort of a quick uh, a brief uptick where some of the bad feelings go away but then you're still you know wherever you go there you are you're still stuck in the same situation and Maverick was in Spanish especially was particularly vicious about uh, uh, well vicious that's a hard word it was not at all uh, happy he was not happy with the with you with Yamaha not complimentary he says you know he's been told to just go out there and gather data he says I'm not a test rider I'm, I want to be out there and race and there's no point in me using Fabio's um, uh, setting which is what Yamaha wanted him to do so, so this so basically from from what he was saying what we can gain or glean from this is Yamaha essentially saying to Maverick, ride like Fabio. That's how to ride the bike. And yeah. he's saying, look, I've got my own riding style and I can't ride like him. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, they're also stuck in the situation where he's changed his crew chief. And so now he's got to get used to a completely to a different crew chief. Different crew chief has a completely different way of working. Communication is different in the garage. Um, uh, all the rest of it, all of these things change. Uh, and, you know, Maverick Vinales came into this this season with the objective of trying to become champion. And it's quite clear that the situation he is in now, he's not going to come and become champion. And it does make it worse when your teammate is winning. Um, and Fabio Quartararo's race was outstanding to, um, you know, he, he lost a little bit of ground in the, uh, in the early laps, but he came through, he came back through again. Um, he came through to finish uh, third. He scores a podium at a track where, uh, even though he was very, very fast on uh, on Saturday during FP4, he said he wasn't really feeling comfortable. He wasn't for, he wasn't sure what the tyres were going to do, which was why he went out and just did uh, like a single run on the, on the tyres in in FP4. So there was uh, this was not a track where he had everything under control, and yet he comes away with third. He extends his lead in the championship. Um, this was very, very positive. But there is uh, such a uh, such a difference, and what. The other Yamahas were saying because they started so much further back, it was really difficult for them because they couldn't um, attack. They couldn't actually try to overtake other uh, uh, other riders, especially the the Ducatis. They were stuck amongst the Ducatis, and they couldn't get the drive out the corner, and they were uh, they couldn't get close enough to attack on the brakes, and that was their biggest problem. Yeah, I mean Cormac being the uh, incredibly. Uh, nerdy gentleman that we are we actually rewatched part of the race today from fabio's onboard and it was quite telling i mean we could see actually quite a lot of where he was really strong where he wasn't mm, i don't think you should tell people we do that but sorry yeah. okay <laughs> well we do uh yeah it's really obvious those cameras are much better than the t i think better than the tv cameras like you see a lot more from the perspective of what they see um and it's really obvious to see where someone is stronger or weaker um and it was pretty obvious to see where he was losing turn i don't know the turn number is as good as you turn mm, downhills yeah the downhill left i think yeah maybe um, five six five six seven, seven around there mm -hmm. um but then at the bottom of the hill he was unbelievable uh but yeah i mean if you if you haven't watched those cameras you should if you've got a motogp.com subscription they're pretty they're pretty good to watch if you're a nerd like us or nerds like us mm -hmm. um but yeah pretty pretty clear to see where fabio is strong and weak yeah yeah i should probably add that we were watching that in between shots of tequila and uh, don yeah, and yeah, beers yeah. obviously, just, obviously, obviously yeah. credits, at uh, 10 a.m obviously at, yeah, <laughs> suitable level so apologies if our words are a little slurred uh, here in the Paddock pass podcast but yeah i mean this um like, where does where does someone like maverick go from here um david because i mean we've been here before haven't we i mean Maverick has essentially been saying this for what five years now and um, there was so much to think that 2021 could lead to a new start I mean for one he was the, the one of what you know Valentino Rossi had shifted and the Yamaha factory team was more united in his eyes there were one team rather than two teams working separately that's what he was saying at the start of the season he's had a kid he's got married seems to have settled down completely in his social life, being, seems to be in a happier place. But, pff, I mean, we're just looking at the same thing that we saw in 2017, 2018, yep. through a lot of 2019 and through 2020. I mean, it's 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 clear that it's not working. No, I mean, like I said, wherever you go, there you are. Um, you can't escape yourself. Maverick can't escape himself. He is 
an incredibly talented rider. You know, on his date, the fastest in the world when everything is right. Um, he's complaining about a lack of rear grip. Can't get the uh, he can't get the rear grip, so he can't get the drive. Um, and the, obviously, the handicap of the Yamaha is that it doesn't have the top speed to actually catch up anywhere. Um, if they had they don't need to be the fastest bike it would be it would be useful if they had sort of you know two three four k and a uh, kmh more uh just to be able to keep up sometimes and in some places or or at tracks where you can get drive out of corners and onto the straights then it then you don't miss the the, the top speed at all but um saxonring just went completely against it unless you happened to start in front um he Quattararo managed to start in front and could maintain his position. Um, Vinales, Rossi, uh, um, Morbidelli, and especially Franco Morbidelli, yeah, they were all stuck at the back and couldn't get uh, couldn't get through. But um, I think Saxon Ring is a strange track, um, so it's not a fair reflection. Aston is going to be different. Aston is very much a Yamaha track. Let's see what happens there. You know. Pfft. Maybe Sunday night where uh, uh, all uh, sort of just a goal at, at how what Maverick Vinales' margin of victory was. Mm. Um, that's the other thing with Maverick. You know, he could easily or easily it wouldn't you you wouldn't be shocked if he did win. You might be sort of surprised. You wouldn't be expecting it, but you wouldn't be shocked. You know, he's capable of it. It's just that it doesn't seem to. It's just not predictable. You just don't know what you're going to get. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree, David. And I think well, I'd be interested in your opinion, actually, because from what I've seen, and obviously I, I don't know anything as much as uh, as you guys do on the subject, but Maverick seems to be able to pull it out the bag when the pressure's off. So if you take a look at like the tests, for example, he's out there spinning more laps than anybody, and he's fastest at every test. Um, and you could take, you know, even race one, for example, as a as, as an example where there isn't necessarily um, the expectation. The season's nowhere near defined. It's kind of like the start. Nobody knows where the riders are in the kind of uh, in the rankings. And he comes out and, and pulls up an amazing performance out the bag. But now you don't really see that. Well, the thing about testing, of course, is you you're not riding with other riders. You're just going around on your own, trying to be fast. And that is the one thing that Maverick is very very good at. You know, it's when he has to battle. I mean, the the one thing we've said consistently about Maverick is he never has a plan B. So if he has an idea about the way that the race is going to play out, if it plays out that way, he will just walk right. away. If it doesn't play out that way, he doesn't have an easy way of. Uh, of regrouping, uh, rethinking his position and thinking, okay, right, this is not working. We're going to go and do something else. Okay, so like the race IQ almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yes, yeah. I, I think it's more sort of he's very mentally quite rigid and uh, he can think of a plan of, you know, a good race strategy yeah. uh, before the race. But as, you know, the everyone has a plan until they get punched yeah. in the face, as Mike yeah, yeah. Tyson says. Kind of like the opposite of, of Mark in a way. Absolutely. Yeah, because Mark is one of those riders that you see seems to be able to make the right decision in the moment. Um, and afterwards, it seems obvious. You think, yeah, that's a, that was a good idea. But to be able to do it during the race when it really counts, it seems to be one of Mark's qualities. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the like those first few corners for Mark were an absolute demonstration of that. You know, he's sort of, he's, he's starting in the middle of the track. He makes sure that he's in, uh, on the right side or sort of on the left side of the track a little bit uh, to get into turn one. Um, gets onto the inside of turn one, inside of Fabio. So, you know, that gives him a position, but that also puts him in the right play, uh, right position for the next left-hander for turn two. Uh, and Zarco had come around the outside, but Zarco had had to had lost all of his speed um, because he had to take the tight line through uh, through turn two. Uh, and Mark could just fly past. There was, there was you know, he had there was no resistance there. And then he's just on the back of Aleish. Uh, and it was simple. And it was just that kind of, uh, did Mark have that planned out? Probably not. He probably sort of was just going with what would happen, but he could immediately adapt to the circumstances. And that, I think that's, that is the big contrast between Marquez and Vinales. 
Yeah, I said this on the uh, the Paddock Note show, I think maybe on Saturday after Vinales' rotten qualifying. There was a video on MotoGP.com uh, when he was interviewed on Friday. The, the title of the interview, Vinales buoyant as Catalan test discoveries reap rewards. And it just shows you like, comes into an event full of, okay, we had this test and everything was good, full of life, full of positivity. And then when, you know, it gets really tough. It falls apart. Um, so, unfortunately, not the first time we've uh, we've said that about Maverick. A few things we want to cover just before we go on to our winners and losers um, at the end of the show. I mean, it was a pretty impressive weekend on the whole for Aprilia. Um, I know that Alessio Spargo was pretty disappointed with seventh place in the end, but scored Aprilia's first front row since 2000 uh, on Saturday. Led the race briefly um, and, you know, was sitting in second place for quite a long time, but just, well... Spoke about rear traction being uh, quite um, quite bad. Um, I mean, Cormac, you obviously watch uh, racing a lot, uh, stating the obvious there. But I mean, you you've been quite impressed by the pretty and how it behaves. Like it doesn't seem there's a great deal wrong with that bike. No, I mean you you, you, you don't qualify in the front row if your bike is bad, no matter how good you are. You know you need some help from the bike. Um, I think it's a shame that in the nicest possible way that Savadori is with the leash, uh, probably slowing down like what they could do to move forward um but yeah like he said he qualified the front row he spent a lot of time in second he was able to follow mark until the rain came and then that's kind of when mark flourishes when things are scary he's like well, okay cool i'll be scarier <laughs> whereas Aleish was you know when it was dry and okay he was there which is impressive like doesn't matter who you are if you can follow mark at the saxon ring it's pretty impressive um i mean seventh is pretty good to be fair i think he was only eight seconds and like it wasn't that far um, okay, a tight track, but still, like, I don't think he can be angry or sad. I'd be pretty happy if I was him. Yeah. Yeah. We moved forward compared to the last year, or the, sorry, 19 when we were here. So, yeah, I, I, I think they did a good job. Bike looks good. They just need two good riders in the nicest possible way, two people that can push it forward. Um, and then maybe they can be on the podium. Yeah. Which would be cool. Yeah. I mean, every race Alish has uh, finished this year. Uh, Davey's been within 10 seconds of the race winner. That's a huge step forward. Um, but, you know, what was he saying after the race that just kind of, you know, the the reason why he felt he couldn't quite be in there in the podium fight towards the end? Grip. Uh, rear grip. I mean, it's uh, rear, you saw that also with the acceleration. He doesn't have the acceleration that um, uh, the, the other bikes do. Um, the RSGP is a much, much better bike than it was still not perfect it's still weak it still has um it still needs a little bit of development but they really desperately need uh, you know as we keep saying really desperately need a, a number two rider they need a, a or a number they don't need a number two rider they need another number one um you know they have to try and persuade andrea dovizioso to sign or someone equally talented and you know i think i said this before it's such a shame that uh, that uh, Grassini are not staying with Aprilia. They're, they're going with um, uh, they're going with Ducati because I think it would be extremely valuable for uh, Aprilia to have four bikes on the grid, and especially with a couple of a couple of rookies who are uh, excited and uh, pushing. I mean, Bastianini on an Aprilia, I think, would be a massive, massive. Um, I think it would be a massive boost for their for, for their program, but it would be also be extremely valuable for Dovizioso to actually, you know, finally put his pen, his, his, his pen, pen to paper and sign his name up. Yeah, exactly. Dovi, if you're listening, put that pen to paper, mate. We want to see you back on the grid. Um, another thing quickly to, to kind of go through, um, I mean, Suzuki, uh, you look back at the last Saxon Ring race that we had in 2019, and I think Alex Rins was sitting second, pretty comfortable second before he binned it. Um, you look at the layout of the track and it should suit the GSXR, but they just never, I mean, Rins looked okay, but obviously he was riding injured after, you know, breaking that bone in his wrist. Um, and... Joanne Mary was just sort of up against it the whole weekend. Never really got a grip on it. Did a reasonably good job in the race. Yeah, considering considering where he started, uh, I, I think Joanne Mir actually rode a really, really good race. It's just that he started, what was it, 17th or something, 17th? I mean, he was back with the Yamahas, which is not a good place to be. Um, Joanne Mir had a, had a fairly strong race. Uh, Alex Rins actually lost. I think he ended up losing sort of one or two positions, but um, uh, even then, he held his own through the race. Um, uh, but yeah, and it's it is odd because the 
thing about the Saxon ring is it's very demanding on tires because you're you know you're on the side of the tire all the time. Uh, it's all turning. It's all of these things are the sort of thing that you would expect the Suzuki to be good at. But there seems to be just a change in the balance of the bike this year, or perhaps a change in the balance of the tire compounds which have been chosen, which is changing the way that the that the whole thing is working. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, from watching Mir speak over the last couple of weekends, it seems to me that he can feel a title slipping away um, somewhere that yeah. he was quite well placed in the first part of the year, racking up a few podiums and being generally quite consistent. But it seems that Suzuki, in his eyes, has stood still. Um, whereas Ducati, we know that they've made big steps forward. Aprilia, obviously KTM, Yamaha, well, with Quadraro anyway, um, have, have definitely made a step forward. But Suzuki seemed to just be where they were. And well, I'd, I'd be interested in the um, opinion of the photographers because you guys are out there taking pictures and you get to see sort of the bikes and the riding. I mean, do you see a difference in the way that the Suzuki is behaving? Mm, it's difficult visually to see. It look, I mean, I don't know for you, but it looks smooth. It, it never looks like particularly out of, out of shape. Like both KTMs always look like tarmac motocross is the best way to describe it. Same with Honda's. Ducati-ish, but Suzuki just seems like yeah, it's just smooth. It's just neither Rins nor Mira are particularly like ragged riders. No, um, Mira reminds me a lot of Rossi in like two thousand and four, two thousand and five. That kind of smooth Yamaha style. Um, but it's impossible to win here. I mean, everybody looks so fast. Yeah, you'd never be able to pick who was quick and who was <laughs> slow. I mean, you could say you know. Rider A is maybe slightly slower at turn ten than Rider B, but overall, absolutely no. There's, there's no, I couldn't uh, distinguish a change, let's say, from last year to this year. I think they, like you say, Cormac, they're both smooth riders, and the bike seems to be quite smooth. I mean, when you're taking photos, you're looking for kind of like if they're consistent and smooth, it's a lot easier. Mm. If they're less erratic, there's you know yeah. less to, to think if, about. If someone if if someone goes through a corner a certain way, the, the in one lap the next lap you expect them to do the same thing the next lap more often than not that is the case with the Suzuki's which is not the case with other manufacturers sometimes someone is like half a meter or a meter wider or tighter mm. than they were the lap before and you think where are you going but the Suzuki's are always similar yeah. um, so it's hard to take something from that I mean yeah. you you could say oh this rider or this bike looks like they're working harder mm. but that doesn't necessarily mean they're faster, faster. or yeah yeah I agree with that. You, know, you could see anybody looks ragged and then you come in after the session because, like mm. I said, we've no idea who's where and they're a tenth. Mm -hmm. And someone that you didn't really take notice of is first. Uh, it's impossible mm. to... But Although, like you said, the Suzuki looks very similar to last year. There's nothing yes. like... Yeah. Sounds the same. Sometimes you hear like subtle sound differences. But I wouldn't... I mean, if you told me it was last year's bike, I'd believe you. I don't see any difference. Well, having said that, on, this, on the subject, um, I... I have noticed that, you know, now that Mark is back, yeah. he is not, he hasn't been, shall I say, as um, ragged on the bike as you would yeah. expect him to be, you know, previously. But that's kind of understandable as yeah. he's building himself back up and uh, recovering, I guess, from his injury. Mm. But I'd say that was the only noticeable kind of riding style change, if you like, or yeah. behavior. But as far as Suzuki goes, no, no. I'd say it's pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, seems to be what Mira's been saying as well. But another place, Aston, this weekend obviously coming up where theoretically you could imagine uh, Mir being up there maybe on the podium, led the race on his rookie season here in 2019. So, um, yeah, we could well be saying something slightly different in next week's show. Um, so, guys, I think uh, we're going to move on to the final section of the show, our winners and losers from the German Grand Prix. Um, I mean... Uh, the winner, I think, obviously, was Cormac getting to uh, leave <laughs> Germany on Monday morning after uh, his uh, accommodation situation um, last weekend. Cormac, would you would you concur with that? Just my accommodation, the hotel itself was fine. It was just there was no aircon and it was, I'd say, 500 degrees in Germany. <laughs> so it was 5,000 degrees in my room, which was not great. Uh, so <laughs> I was very happy to leave Germany on Monday and come to Aston where it was 12 when we got here yesterday. <laughs> nice. It was, Pissing with rain. Yeah, it was wonderful. I liked it. It was, felt like home. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other big winner was Rob because uh, you got to try a bit of German delicacy, a bit of white sausage for breakfast on uh, Sunday yeah. morning. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly did. Yes. <laughs> very fortunate that the uh, hospitality gods blessed us with some local cuisine. And I was even shown by um, some of our 
resident Germans how to eat it properly. So, uh, and how do you eat oh, it properly? It's, it's quite complicated, actually. Um, it's a whole separate show. Yeah, I'm yeah not, that's the follow-up. Show. I'm not sure I could do it over audio without people getting a really wrong idea. But um, it, inv- <laughs> it involves peeling the skin off. Yeah, <laughs> Rob's got his own podcast tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. So, uh, quickly moving on, I feel uh, before uh, mm. we really uh, lower ourselves into uh, another level altogether. Um, who was your winner of the weekend, Cormac? You've got the microphone, uh, so I'll go to you first. Uh, if you had to pick. One man. I mean, you can be as obvious as you want or as left field as you want. Well, no, no, I'd say like all the reps are on there. I wouldn't say it's div- I mean, okay, Mark as a winner for one, but all the reps are on there. Just like a massive weight taken off the shoulders. Yeah. Uh, I think you could probably say the same. You know, Paul Spargo definitely looked like a winner when he was doing <laughs> his uh, his interview on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, at least he knows he's riding a bike that, he, that, that can win. So <laughs> I suppose it's something. But yeah, I'd say Mark. I'd. I'd, I'd I know it's obvious, but yeah, Mark. Yeah, fair point. First win in what, 581 days? Uh, well, nearly a year and a half. More than a year and a half, in fact. Um, yeah, one of his great performances, I think, as well. Um, David, I mean, would you concur with Cormac? Do you have your own winner from the German Grand I do Grand have my own winner, but it's very much in the same, uh, sort of, uh, along the same lines. And it's Takeo Yokoyama, um, who, uh, because Mark just saved his job, Takeo Yokoyama, the technical director for um, uh, HRC, he basically leads the uh, MotoGP program. He's, he's in, in charge of designing the bike. Um and his the bike that he built has looked terrible for the last year a year and a half and now it's won a race and um he needed that he really really needed that uh, all of honda needed that so yeah for me that i think is his um uh, i think takeo is the winner okay and if you follow simon creafar on twitter simon i think bumped into takeo taking his flight from germany to here Good to hear that Takeo celebrated uh, suitably. Uh, I think Simon tweeted that uh, Takeo had told him, never drinking alcohol again. <laughs> it's good to hear. Uh, Rob, what about you if you had to pick a winner from the German Grand Prix? Well, you see, now Cormac's chosen the obvious one. I feel like he's stolen my thunder a little bit there. But um, without being too obvious, I do think that the KTM, as in like the, the team of people behind the riders, all of them, both both sides of the garage, because... Yes, okay, the headlines are about Miguel and he's showing some brilliant consistency at the moment and great riding. But actually, to see how hard everybody works and to see the results that Brad uh, brought in and some of the kind of the form that he's starting to show there feels really good because they deserve that kind of the, the reward for the efforts that they're putting in and it's nice to see, so... Yeah, I mean, the project as a whole is doing really, really well. That, to me, is what you see with KTM. And I think, yeah, KTM had a really, really strong weekend. Yeah, okay, yeah, and well... And sorry for the obvious answer there, but it is... It is a genuine one. Yeah, I mean, I never really thought when I invited you onto the show <laughs> that the, the Honda photographer would uh, say Honda was the winner and the KTM photographer I, would say I that. I really, was... really racked my brains and I thought, no, I'm going to go with... The gut feeling there. So. Toe the company line. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. no. <laughs> got, to put, got to put food in the table. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Uh, and seeing as you asked me, I'm going to say uh, similar to yourself, Rob. I mean, I was tempted to pick uh, Miguel because it was a great ride. I mean, I, honestly, I didn't think Miguel had this level in him as a MotoGP rider. I always thought he was great as a Moto3, Moto2 rider. I didn't think he would be doing this kind of thing. But I'm going to go with uh, Remy Gardner just because it seemed like a bit of a uh, pivotal weekend in the Moto2 class. His main rival, Ralph Fernandez, uh, crashed out. And Remy was just, I mean, the pair of them were so far in front of the rest, it was almost embarrassing for the rest, to be honest. Yeah, and the thing was, that was uh, Remy applying pressure to Raul that was Remy saying all right you want to go fast let's go fast let's dance let's see what happens that was really really impressive just seems that the guy has got this little fine feeling and he's just smashing it I mean no one really has an answer for him at the moment in Model 2 and in this form he's looking like a bit of a champion and waiting already um, we're still with what 10 races to go so yeah I think Remy would be my one uh, obviously we have to move swiftly on to the losers of the weekend uh, Cormac I trust that you're going to say KTM um, you know because of this uh, burgeoning Honda KTM rivalry yeah, yeah. yeah. KTM okay it, it didn't win so <laughs> that, was, that was a shame yeah but okay. KTM <laughs> yeah and Rob need to ask no no I wouldn't do that to our man no I, I was actually going to go with uh, 
Raul, Raul Fernandez, Moto2. I think, um, yes, Remy did a great job, put pressure on him, but Raul has been showing some amazing form this season. He's a rookie. Um, I like his riding style, quite an aggressive rider. I think shows a lot of potential. Um, so to see him crash out was uh, quite a big moment in my opinion. So. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. David, what about you? It is tempting to uh, name one of the Yamahas at the black uh, at the back. Um, but actually, my big loser is going to be Honda because Mark Marquez won and he made the bike look good and the bike isn't good. Um, this means that Honda still have an awful lot of work to do. The good thing about this is that Mark was saying, look, we still have a lot of work to do and we have to do it. And he seems to be open to working. He's not saying just give me something and I'll sort the rest out. He's saying I need a better bike. Um, that's going to be good. But it exposed the fact that Mark could win here at this track, at the track that he is so strong at. Uh, I think that exposed Honda even more Um the problems which they face. So, yeah, I mean, the easy answer and the obvious answer is Yamaha, but I think uh, this was also a worrying weekend for Honda, despite winning, or probably precisely because they did win. Yeah, as the host of this show, it's probably my job to inform you, the dear listener, that uh, steam is indeed coming out of Cormac's ears at uh, David's answer, the slagging off Honda, and, uh, yeah, I'm having to hold him back uh, from uh, throwing punches his way. Uh I'm going to go with an obvious one. I mean, you know, it's hard to look past certain Yamaha men. Um, Vinales, I think we've covered him in some detail, but Franco Morbidelli, I mean, of all the tracks where I expected him to struggle less, this was definitely one of them. Um, and yeah, there just seems to be a sort of listlessness to him and acceptance almost of the situation. And we saw this, I think, in Qatar at the start of the year. He refined a bit of his mojo and a bit of his fire for Portugal and for um, Jerez. Had great races there. But all weekend, it was just, this is the situation. I can't really do anymore. It is what it is. And I guess, who am I to judge uh, a guy that's in a situation where he's going up against the most competitive field ever on a two-year-old bike. It's completely understandable, but we're talking about the guy that finished second in last year's championship and around the slowest track on the calendar. Um, he was 18th, second last, 24 seconds off, and never even looked, never once looked likely of going forward. So, yeah, pretty pretty sad to see, really. Uh, we were expecting a lot more of Franco this year, for sure. Um, so, yes. Uh, so, I guess that brings us to a close um, to this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. I would like to really uh, give a warm thanks to our uh, two special guests for this week, um, Mr. Cormac GP, Mr. Cormac Ryan Meenan, and Rob Polarity Photo Gray. Uh, Mr. Cormac, um, if our dear listeners would... <coughs> like to maybe uh, find you on social media or purchase some of your photographs where could they do that at polarity firms <laughs> um, <laughs> at comedygp or com. okay for everything okay and a fine selection fine library of uh, prints mm. are on there as well yeah since 2012 <laughs> <laughs> very nice and what about you Rob uh, it's uh, at polarity photo and the website is polaritiphoto.co.uk fantastic okay I would recommend following and purchasing uh, work from both these guys definitely to of the most talented photographers in the paddock working at the moment. Um, we're actually going to do a Paddock Pass podcast extra show with Cormac and Rob um, after recording this, which will be available to our Patreon subscribers, our low-tier Patreon subscribers. Um, you can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and have a whole wide range of extra features um, coming your way, some extra interviews, extra special shows, like the one that we do every week, the Paddock Pass Podcast Extra. Um, and in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about, um, well, being a photographer from MotoGP and how that has changed in the COVID-19 world. Um, we're also going to be back with another show, our Moto2 and Moto3 roundup show. Um, later in the week, I think that will be available from Thursday. Um, and then, of course, we'll be coming back all weekend. Dave, do we ever stop recording podcasts? No. We don't. Um, we'll be back throughout the Dutch Grand Prix weekend with our Paddock, our Paddock Pass podcast, uh, Paddock Notes show. Paddock Pass podcast, Paddock Notes. Exactly, yes. And that is available to our upper tier Patreon subscribers, uh, where you can join for $10 a month. Uh, and you'll have basically an extra podcast every day of a race weekend in which we talk about all the latest events and happenings. Um, it's a time to thank once again our listeners, 
you, the listener, and also our Patreon subscribers who help to keep this podcast going and on the road and to go to events like this also allows David to buy us uh, Stroop Waffles and uh, Dutch uh, national team memorabilia when he comes to visit us in the Netherlands. Um, thanks again, dear listener. This was another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Rental and Fly Racing. Thank you very much for listening and we'll be back again soon. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Libertines. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. And, and Renthal, it's Renth... It's Renthal, yeah. Renthal. Yeah. Renthal. Yeah. Okay. Renthal. Cool. Exciting. New sponsor. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs>